freedom of speech is great. Freedom of religion, very good. Freedom of association, movement, all the all that, great. But if that will be taken away so that we can treasure freedom in Christ and freedom from sin, um, all the more, again, praise God. Hey guys, what's up? It's Haley. Oh my gosh, I'm back from my break and I'm back as a surprise. You didn't expect me yet, did you? Um, wow, I am I am ready to go. I'm ready. Here we go. This is season three. I am back early because I recorded an episode with Samuel Say of slowtowrite.com that I did not feel should wait to be published. I felt the conviction and the urge to publish it as soon as possible. And therefore, I'm doing so the same day that I recorded it. That does not happen often for me, especially since I am a one woman show. So you have an awesome episode to look forward to today. And you guys, I just want to say you're not alone. You're not alone in what you're feeling, what your concerns are, what your fears are. But God goes before us and he is good. We can trust him with the future as unknown as it is. Um, So before we get into this episode, I want to invite you a couple things to A, if you have not left a review for Kindle to do that on the Apple podcast app, it really helps me to um, get that shown to other people who are searching for biblically grounded uh, podcasts speaking truth and grace boldly for, for you to help leave a review. That will really help the algorithm show my podcast to other people, especially because we are fighting you know, as conservatives and as believers, we are fighting against the algorithm on every other front. So your review does really, really help that podcast get found. And second of all, um, I want to invite you to join Firestarters. That is my bonus episodes that release every Friday. They are 15 to 30 minutes. So they're shorter than the regular Kindled episodes, but they are just me and the mic talking about everything that is going on from a biblical worldview, whether it be political, biblical, social, cultural, theological issues, Uh, The topics of the day, the things that are in the news, the things that happened that week on social media or in the world, those are the things I'm talking about on Firestarters. You can join us for $10 a month at patreon.com slash kindled podcast. You can request for certain topics if you want me to discuss them. We have a um, exclusive community on Patreon where we are able to just talk uh, amongst ourselves and, and in a private community there on Patreon. And it's great. So I want to invite you into that. And as a way for you to continue to support Kindled, your listening to these episodes is so important to me. And if you want to take even one step further, join us on Patreon today. Okay, guys, um, I'm going to get right into the content of, uh, today's episode. And here is my conversation with Samuel Say. Samuel, welcome back to Kindled. This is your second time back. Happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Look forward to the chat. Yeah. So, uh, man, uh, we were just saying how today is a little bit of an intense day here where I'm at in the United States because tomorrow is inauguration day, and I think a lot of a lot of people that I'm friends with, anyway, and myself, just feel some trepidation and anxiety about what is coming. And I don't mean what's coming tomorrow. I mean what's coming the next four years um, as as Christians in the United States. Um, you're probably feeling like now you're you're the one a few steps ahead of us because you're in Canada, which is extremely way more liberal than the United States has been to this point. And you're like, look, guys, you're going to be fine. But we're all just freaking out a little bit, you know. So um, so that's kind of that's the environment that we're having this conversation in today. But I think it's a good it's a, it's it's a good time for us to have this conversation, actually, because um, we're going to talk about Christian nationalism and, and what that is and what it isn't. So. Um, I didn't even give you the chance though to introduce yourself. So I'm sorry. I just assume people know who you are. Why don't you, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, No problem. I was enjoying listening to you. Um, Yeah. So my name is Samuel Say. I am a blogger at slowtowrite.com. I'm on social media at slowtowrite. I'm also a pro-life advocate at CCBR uh, here in Canada. Um, And that's, uh, that's really it. Mm, That's awesome. 
Yeah, you do a lot of awesome work uh, for the pro-life cause and you speak out so boldly and and graciously and clearly on CRT and just a a lot of the false ideologies we see floating around that have really just become the air we're breathing in. Even as believers um, in our churches, we're hearing it, it come from our pastors and from the pulpit and from our favorite teachers and our favorite influencers and our authors that we followed. And it's it, I, I would be remiss in, in uh, if I did not say that it is becoming harder and harder to tell who you can trust and who you cannot trust. And I feel like it, we really, that, that discernment, um, discernment uh, thermometer is, is just always, it, it always has to be on because you really don't know at any moment if you open Instagram or if you turn on, you know, a, a podcast from your favorite podcaster whether or not they have fallen prey to one of these, one of these false ideologies or false teachings like CRT. And, uh, and I think it feels exhausting. I don't know. Would you say that's a a fair representation? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) it it seems like the last four or five years in just our our Christian circles, you know, the, you know, five years within the evangelical world has been just tough with a lot of disappointments from you know leaders embracing critical race theory and yet the last few months last couple months seems like it's just been that much more dramatic um and uh unfortunately um i'm not so certain that the next uh couple years or more isn't going to be um difficult i think we're just at the beginning of um very very difficult times in the church yeah yeah but yet but yet these are also good times right in that um i think god is um sharpening a, a lot of us and god is pruning the church in many ways too um mm-hmm. i think you know he's separating the wheat from the chaff mm-hmm. i think yeah. um you know it, it's painful it's difficult but i think not of course uh, the church would be better for it yeah, I think you're you're 100 percent right, and you know um, it's helpful to keep that perspective. That you know we also need to understand, um, and I, I can speak for you know as an American, um, I'm sure you probably have experienced some of this, but it has been way too easy to be a Christian in this nation. It has been way too easy, and and I've been grateful. I've been proud to be an American. I've been proud of how our nation was founded and the principles that it was founded upon but it has been way too easy. And so now that we're coming up against opposition, now that it's becoming harder to become a Christian and, or not to become, to actually be a Christian in this nation, you're seeing the the nominal Christians, the Christians in name only, the cultural Christians, the progressives who really weren't in it for any of the right reasons. They weren't truly following Christ. They were merely, um, they were liking that maybe the, the uh, person, the perception that it afforded them by others, the, the, the reputation maybe that comes with caring about people or caring for, you know, the goodwill of humanity or wanting to be like Jesus, you know, what would Jesus do that kind of a motif? Like that was their aesthetic. And now that it's becoming hard to actually be a true believer and follower of Christ and to point to just the way, truth and the life as this absolute, the only door and a narrow way to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is it is not cool anymore. It is, you are seeing them give in to the cultural pressures around them. And we are as the, as the true body of Christ are going, wait, oh my gosh, like my favorite person that they're falling away or, oh my gosh, Beth Moore's on Twitter, you know, basically denouncing all of the body of Christ as being Christian nationalists or, you know, whatever, whatever, whoever the, the latest person today is saying the thing or dropping the mic drop or the tweet or whatever, it's, it's hard to see that, but at the same time, I think we have been a little bit naive in our understanding of what it really would look like to follow Christ because it's been so easy. And that's what, that's the pain that we're experiencing now in America is, oh my gosh, I read all this time about suffering in the Bible. And yet I kind of thought that was for like someone somewhere else, not me, because I live in America, a Christian nation. We don't have to suffer here. We believe in religious freedoms. We believe in the Bible. We love God. 
right? <laughs> and, you, and then the pressure heats up and the iron gets hot and suddenly, no, we don't believe in God actually. And it looks like even some of our leaders don't believe in the principles that they've been preaching. So it's really shocking. And, but uh, yeah, I think it's been too easy. Yeah. And from our perspective, um, it's difficult to, it's hard for me to see a lot, a lot of these issues are happening in Canada as well too, but in particular with what's happening amongst evangelicals, it's uh, very difficult because mm-hmm. one of the things I always tell people is that um, in you know every American election, you always hear talk about what are the evangelicals going to do? How are they going to vote? You know, w- w- what matters most to them? The the GOP, the Republican, Republican Party, they still care about the evangelical vote because that's their strongest base. Um, mm-hmm. However, in Canada, nobody cares for the evangelicals here. We don't have a voice at all. Mm-hmm. We don't have a voice whatsoever. In fact, the Conservative Party, our version of the Republican Party here, they really just, they don't seem to really even want, want our support in, in some cases. Um, so it's sad for us, for me especially, to be seeing, from my perspective, America heading down the same road where you have even evangelical leaders like a Beth Moore joining the world and shaming the church yeah. and then helping the, the world to marginalize a Christian voice. Um, that's right. sad. That's yeah. very sad. Yeah, it is sad. Um, and, and I want to talk to you about, you know, we've mentioned her a couple of times, Beth Moore, because she she has been very vocal the last few months. Um, we've known for a while she was not a fan of Trump, which, you know, is no surprise and also not a problem with me personally. I don't care if you like Trump or not. But yeah. um, when you have um, such a prominent vocal leader with such a, a large platform and such big influence, um, really start to... Um, you know, recategorize and redefine what it means or what it should mean to be a Christian today. Mm-hmm. It forces you to ask the question, like, where do my allegiances lie? Are they with um, being um, being named as loving and good and, and in the on the right side of history by people like Beth Moore? Or is it with what the Bible says is true, that is absolute and unchanging, um, regardless of what name that that causes me to be called? You know what I mean? Regardless of how you would define me, Um, because that's what that's what I've noticed. um, And we've we've said a couple of times we're going to talk about Christian nationalism. Um, We need to define we need to define what that is for the listeners. And we need to have some kind of some working definitions of what that is. Um, Do you have any suggestions uh, of what what that and maybe like we said before we recorded there, there might be we might have a need to actually define how it's being used versus um, what historically nationalism might have meant. Yeah. Um, so I suppose historically, Christian nationalism would be Christians who have tied America's constitution or America's history and future with God's redemptive plan. Um, some in some in heretical ways, mm-hmm. some yeah, some not so much, right? Um, so there's the variations, but particularly it's more, it's 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 um, idolizing uh, America. Mm-hmm. The problem is today, it's been redefined to mean that if you voted for Donald Trump, if you are a conservative evangelical, really, if you are a Christian um, and you, you, live, um, you live a life worthy of the gospel and you vote for justice, you are a Christian nationalist. And really what they really mean by that is, and they tie it together, um, that they tie it to white nationalism as well, right? So here's the thing, nationalism in of itself, uh, while I wouldn't necessarily agree with it, it is not a moral wrong. Um, because also there's, again, there's different variations of nationalism as well. It's a very broad term already. Mm-hmm. Then now in the world, 
our culture has tied any nationalist to white nationalism, which is different. White nationalism does not really, because nationalism in general is wanting to be very protective of your nation, you know, or the America first or Canada first kind of sentiment. Right. White nationalism isn't America first. It's white Americans first. Right. Which that's racism. That's That's racism. Easy to call that racism. Yeah. That's wrong. But now, if you are just a nationalist or a conservative, Mm -hmm. they will frame, you know, they'll frame you as a white nationalist. Right. And in the same way now, what's happening in the church is you have some Christians who are maybe nationalists, which is not, again, broadly, it's not wrong, right? Now, again, some of them could be idolizing America or just have bad politics, but generally it is not a sinful ideology, generally. Right. You would think, you know, it's like if, for instance, we, if you own a home and you want to protect your home against intruders and you put it in a security system so that if you're sleeping, when a robber opens up that window to slip into your home and do whatever, if you protecting your home in that way makes you, you know, a, uh, a home supremacist, uh, a nationalist of your home. Well, you are, you just think that you're more important. Well, no, it's my home. It's, I own it. It's mine. Why shouldn't I protect my home? I actually, that's a biblical ideal to protect our four walls. And it says that you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't. So how does that thinking not translate to a nation, to a country, to having borders that are protected and, and citizens that are protected? That's very helpful because the biggest issue that that's raised in nationalism is immigration, mm-hmm. right? And it's for white nationalism or Christian nationalism, at least the way people phrased it. If you're a nationalist, generally, you want either, um, you know, you, you want an immigration system that is, you just want a careful approach to that, generally. You don't, you don't want mass immigration, not because you maybe don't want mass immigration, but because you want to make sure they won't harm your country, right? So it's not that you hate the immigrants. You just want to make sure that if you can have immigrants, that it is, it is, you know, it won't hurt your country in doing so, which is fine. So for example, right now, the economy is horrible. If our nation said we want to have mass immigration, bring in 5 million people, we would say, wait a minute here, like times are tough. Let's get things figured out here. And then we can help people come in. I'm an immigrant. And yet I do not want to harm other citizens in this nation by bringing in people when we're not able to really help them. In the same way that if your house is a mess, you don't necessarily want to bring in other people because you want to serve them better by cleaning the the, the mess in your house first. Um, So anyway, but now the issue is the same way our culture has tied any kind of nationalist or any kind of conservative to white nationalism. They've done the same thing now, yeah. right? That if you are a white person who's a nationalist, that means you're a white nationalist. Right. And now if you because are- Because of identity politics. Exactly. And now if you are a Christian who has some nationalist views or conservative views, yeah. they would say, that means that you are a Christian nationalist meaning you right. idolize the country and you are white supremacists. They tied it all together that you are right. white supremacists, you hate black people, you hate immigrants, and you just want to take America and make it right. this kind of, um, you know, in a sense, they'll, they'll, they might say some kind of a Christian version mm-hmm. of a Sharia, uh, you know, Sharia mm-hmm. law dominated nation. Theocracy. Yeah. And, and just the same way that identity politics uh, and intersectionality, for instance, is the oppression Olympics. So however many intersections you have of a, uh, a place where you are a minority or a marginalized group. So if you are lesbian, woman, um, black, live in, you know, this or that, you know, city that is, that is, or, or a zip code that is poorer than another zip code that is amping you up the charts in terms of oppression points. So you are, uh, you are the most oppressed of society according to CRT. And on the flip side, sometimes I think what we have forgotten or maybe part of, part of what uh, it can be easy to forget is that on the flip side, the oppressors are gaining points in the opposite end, the opposite end of the spectrum. So you are an oppressor if you are, you know, a majority um, ethnicity. So if you're white, 
if you're a male, if you are a Christian, and, and now we're adding to the list of the ways that you're oppressing people. If you are, um, you know, economically advantaged or privileged, or if you came from a family with money, or even if you have a job, or if you own a home, there's all of these things that are now mounting against you, against your um, right to maybe even exist. You know, I mean, wh- when it comes down to it, we're already seeing language that is suggesting that, you know, that people who believe the things that you and I are talking about, some of these nationalist concepts that historically would have just been called conservatism, um, but are now being relabeled as Christian nationalists, you, you should be extinguished from the face of the earth. (laughs) And and I'm, I'm, I smiled when you mentioned that because I've been reading a book called Christian privilege and I want to recommend that book to every Christian, not because it's a good book, not by any means, because it's a horrible book. And I think people need to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that you have nationalists who tie, um, you know, nationalism, at least the idolatrous, um, you know, unhelpful kind or harmful kind to Christian nationalism or to Christians. Of course, you have white privilege and you have male privilege and all these things but you also have Christian privilege because the key word in um, or the two, the, the two prevailing ideas in critical race theory is the conf- is conflict theory, which is a society is made up of people who are always in conflict. Mm-hmm. And the people who win are always people who have the most cultural power, whether by majority or just by the people who they, who shape the ideas in the culture. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the problem. If you believe in white privilege, you have to believe in Christian privilege because America, while it's not a Christian nation by any means, it was founded on Christian principles, right? And therefore, the people who've had the most cultural power until recently in America has been Christians, right? So right. this book is arguing that essentially we need to dismantle Christian privilege in America. But here's the problem. Yeah. As, that, as that's happening, mm-hmm. you now have this term, Christian nationalism. The two are tied. Yeah. The two are tied together because the whole idea is, well, white nationalism is is prominent because of white privilege. Mm-hmm. In the same way, they would say Christian privilege yeah. is is producing Christian nationalism. So these two mm-hmm. things are tied. There's a reason why critical race theorists are embracing um, the idea that there are more conservative evangelicals, really the biblical evangelicals are just Christian nationalists, which is a scary thing to say. You're essentially saying that God's saints are demons. That's essentially what it means. And that's an offense to to God. This is the bride of of, of Christ. And the people, it's really, of course, progressives or liberal Christians, meaning people who are not Christian. Um, Now, by liberal Christian, I mean people who reject the authority of the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. Christian have bad politics. Um, But, you know, Lord willing, well, biblically, they will repent at some point, as we all would from all of our sins or or wrong ideas. Nevertheless, uh, when I say liberal, I'm referring to people who just reject the authority of the Bible. So liberal Christians, progressive Christians, they are embracing this rhetoric to attack the Mm -hmm. genuine saints who are following the word of God. And don't you think that carrying this, you know, the conversation from Beth Moore forward, don't you think that the, when we saw Beth Moore, you know, speak out against Trump, okay, she doesn't like Trump, fine, that's cool, whatever, the uh, liberal politics, so she, she drifted the other direction, you know, maybe she said, she's, she has, she has said, she used to be conservative, she voted for those presidents, and she will no more, she has come out and say that, Liberal politics have led to liberal theology. Mm-hmm. And so she has been pushed so far away from what she would have considered her, you know, American um, identity as, as a conservative or a political identity in the other direction that now I really only think she is a hair away from doing exactly what you just said and saying that Christian privilege is the problem. Now it's not conservative privilege or, or national Christian national. It's, I mean, she's really only a hair's breadth away from saying that Christian privilege is the problem and turning against the church itself. I mean, almost like to where I'm like, is this Paul again, like persecuting the persecuting believers? Like, I mean, that's a bad example because he, he was an enemy of the church at first and then God converted him. But 
I'm just, I'm blown away that, that, that such a, you know, knowledgeable, well-versed, well-educated woman of God, I would have said, I've done some of her Bible studies years ago. Like I would have said, you know, Beth Moore solid has been, you know, taken down this like rabbit trail that so it mirrors for us what so many other believers yeah. or Christians or, or previously labeled, we would have labeled Christians are, are experiencing this deconstruction of their political ideology, deconstruction of their national identity, deconstruction of now their faith. And now we have to deconstruct American Christianity because it is oppressive. That's exactly it. And, and here's the thing. You, you mentioned that Beth Moore is so close to saying that Christian privilege is a problem. But I, I agree with you. But the thing is, she's already been saying that just with different terms. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because Christian privilege is, is a term. But the idea behind it, she's already been saying that. Yeah, she has. Say that Christians who believe what the Bible says about racism are racist. Yeah. If you say that just because we don't agree with your critical race theory views, your worldly philosophies, that we, the church, that is being that are being submissive to Christ, are being racist. That's you saying that Christian privilege is a problem. That Christians are the problem. Mm-hmm. And this may sound harsh, I don't mean to be, but she's not part of the church. She's, she does not, everything about her theology, honestly, over the last, so one of the things about Beth Moore is, um, you know, uh, the word grifter is very popular, you know, generally in our, in our vocabulary now. I but, barely know what that means. <laughs> essentially, she's always, people was grifting or who are just moving towards the popular ideas of the day or the popular movies okay. of the day essentially. Yeah. And I've, I knew of her, I don't follow her too much, but I knew of her, of her a few years ago and she was in the prosperity gospel circle for yeah. a time. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's wanna, spoken at Joel Osteen's church. Exactly. Yeah. Now I don't want to assume anybody's motives. Nevertheless, if you are in that environment, you're not there for good. <laughs> right. And then she gravitated, so she gravitated more towards the the liberal Christian world. By liberal Christian, I mean liberal theology, not just liberal, not so much liberal politics, but liberal theology, where she has chosen, you know, over time not to condemn, you know, homosexuality, for example, as a sin. Um, you know, she was with the, um, oh man, the hat makers, the hat maker, yeah. I'm forgetting. Yeah. BFFs, yeah. So she's been there, but now she's found a home through the through the conservative, reformed, evangelical tent that she was never really part of. Why? Because of her her now dominant thinking and and um, and I suppose just motivations to really speak out on behalf of critical race theory and really liberal politics. And it's really sad to me that she's found a home in our conservative tent, Um, you know. So anyway, so though she has not used the term yet, over the last few years, she has been saying so much. She's been saying exactly that without using the- you're right. She has. I think it's just so shocking to see it. It's so bold-faced and unapologetic, you know. I think- there's a part of me that is still like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening, but it is, it's, it's happening. <laughs> um, so, okay. So for Christian nationalism, um, let's, let's talk about, you mentioned a little bit there, there's a spectrum, you know, there are, there are those who absolutely, I will, I will unashamedly admit have tied the fate of America to the will of God in a way that is heretical and is not helpful and is not biblical and um has indicated to me there are people i know that have done this that uh that that their faith is weak and their faith is in whether or not america remains a democracy or whether or not america remains uh you know um has closed borders or has religious freedoms or whatever any number of things where their their hope has been tied to the outcome of america as a nation and I would say that is that is absolutely easy to to say. Look, you're idolizing the nation. You're idolizing um, a, a place that is not our home. Ultimately, 
And as Christians, we should never do that. We should never um, link our hope and stake our hope and our claim on a place that is fading away, that is going to be burned in the judgment when Christ comes again. And he's going to make a new heavens and new earth. And uh, I don't know that America as a nation is actually going to be like labeled America. It's just going to be new land and new. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do with it, but it's not going to remain the identity of the United States of America that it had in our lifetime. And so that's easy to identify as problematic and heretical, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Of course. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So then how do we like, what do we do with everyone else who's like, look, I am, I I wouldn't say that I, you know, I actually am not sure that America is going to be able to persist under, let's say this new president. I don't know. I mean, America as it, as it is today is um, very quickly going to be um, turned into something else. And, and, and maybe it will be America only in name, but not in the spirit. So what do we do with, with the rest of us where I would call myself and say, look, I believe in some of the principles that are uh, conservative politically that, you know, I believe we should have protected borders. I believe that we should have the freedom of religion. Um, and that means I believe as a Christian, I should be able to say there's two genders and there are, you know, there's a sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. And I, I believe that. And yet I also believe that you should have the right to believe what you believe as long as you don't infringe on me. Right. And as long as I don't infringe on you, but that's not the world we live in today. Now we live in a world where it's like, no, your beliefs, Christian are too extreme because you believe in absolute truth that goes against what I believe, even though I would say my truth is absolute too. Your belief is like too absolute for me. Do you know what I mean? So how, what do we do with that? Yeah. In the same way that, as I was saying, welcomed into my very, like very crazy brain. No, 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 it's not crazy at all. I think in the same way that today, if you are just by being a white person, especially a, um, a white person who's a conservative, they will label you all right, white supremacist, white nationalist, whatever. And they they know there's a they know there's a big difference between a conservative and a white nationalist. But the media will oftentimes frame Christians that way as a way to marginalize um, their voice or our voice. Um, and in the same way, they know there's a big difference between a conservative like you, a Christian like you, and a Christian nationalist, but they say that because they want to marginalize your voice. So there, there's, um, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, there's a book called um, Christian Nationalism, Taking Back America for God. And the two authors, the sociologist, and some of their rhetoric is very much inspired uh, by critical race theory. Nevertheless, the key things they say is this, that after the American election, they were concerned about how the media was painting white evangelicals with a broad brush. They were saying that, well, they wanted to find a more precise term that would describe the more conservative members within white evangelicalism. This is, this is, this is basically, this is their own words. And they said, look, 20% of white evangelicals didn't vote for Donald Trump, 80% did. So we wanted to find a term that would describe the conservative branch. Um, you know, we want to find a, a term that would separate the two. Mm-hmm. And that term was Christian nationalism. Okay. So to be, so for you to be a Christian nationalist in their mind, this is the prevailing view. This is the Beth Moore view. Essentially it means you have to believe the Bible and you have to want to live by the Bible and, and especially practically, it is if you vote for Donald Trump or if you vote for the Republican Party. Yeah. Which means, again, like 80%. So, so that's 80% of American uh, American white evangelicals, right, who voted for Donald Trump at least the last election, well, in 2016. And they say, these authors say, that 75 to 80% of white evangelicals are Christian nationalists. So, so their numbers follows is basically synonymous with the number of white evangelicals that voted for Donald Trump in 2016. And I think it's probably pretty similar in um, 2021 as well too. So they say it's mainstream. So essentially, again, if you are a Christian today, if you, and especially a white Christian, they would say you are a white nationalist, right? And it is, it's sad because as you were saying, you're just a Christian who wants to follow the Bible. You want justice, but they don't want you to be doing that. 
So the best way for them to do that is to marginalize you as being one of the oppressors. So they essentially say that the people who uh, were rioting at Capitol Hill, they're just like you, except, and again, they, they really believe this, except they're just more radical and violent than you are. Yep. Nevertheless, you, by voting for Donald Trump, are creating the environment for the more radical members of your group to go out there and do that. Right. And by, and by doing that, they are creating a catalyst to marginalize and oppress the church. Mm -hmm. I'm really concerned about this. I'm more, uh, I mean, mean, it's tied to the term Christian privilege, but yet people, especially Christians today who are embracing this ideology are allowing themselves to, follow a narrative that I think could ultimately lead to persecution more so than already we have right now in in the church. Yeah, I think you're right. This morning I saw an article uh, uh, that was published four days ago on HuffPost about Christian textbooks in K through 12 schools. Did you happen to see this? No, can you please send it to me? uh, I will. Yeah, it's it's pretty concerning. Um, They... You know, basically the article uh, basically says uh, here, here, let me just read you. This will tell you what you need to know. These textbooks in thousands of K through 12 schools echo Trump Trump's talking points. So first align the Christians with Trump, demonize the Christians. They're religion centered, anti-democrat, anti-science, anti-multicultural message mirrors the Christian nationalism seen at the U.S. Capitol riot. And then they go on in the article to talk about how these textbooks have Uh, you know, a false version of history in which they, you know, basically say that how we teach the history of America, the founding, that the principles were good and biblical, that now if you can tie America, if you can say, if you can convince people America is a racist, systemically terrible place, then you could say, well, how could the founding be good? No, you know, the reason it's systemically racist because it's founded on the principles that you say it is, the principles you love. Those are the racist principles. Those is, that's why it's systemically racist. That's why it's broken. Not because we went away from what God said or because we sinned and because our hearts are darkened and because you have unrighteous men implementing um, you know, laws that are actually built to preserve the dignity of human beings and, and the value of, of us as of image bearers, but because those principles themselves are racist and hateful and bigoted and need to be done away with. And so this article says even names that I'm familiar with, and I was homeschooled through sixth grade. So I like did some of these books, Abeka and BJU, Bob Jones University Press. Um, these are books that teach the Trump era of politics, they say. They care, they're characterized by a skewed version of history in a sense that the country is experiencing an urgent moral decline that can only be fixed by conservative Christian policies, <laughs> which I'm like, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly what I believe. You got it. Wow. I, you're finally hearing me. Oh, praise God. Because wow. But it's like the, the, this is, this is crazy. It's scary because we're finally coming full circle and we're all actually starting to see eye to eye. And it's yeah. like, you're seeing me for who I am, which is someone who believes in absolute truth that cannot be defied and that cannot be overcome and that I will die for. And you are willing, you are willing to kill me for it. Like that's what this is coming to. Thank you so much. This is my husband, Joey. (laughs) Hi. Appreciate what you're doing, man. Love your stuff. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Joey. Um, no, I, I am, I'm with you. And the sad, again, the sad thing is you have Christians who are choosing, well, professing Christians who are choosing to make their allegiance with the people who want to oppress the church. That is scary stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But here, that's where we are at. But yeah, I mean, look, critical race theory, I, I think people still don't quite understand this. Critical race theory doesn't want to reform anything. They don't want to just make things, that's not, that's not how they're thinking. I think a lot of Christians or even still people in the world just think that critical race theorists just want to reform things and make it better for black people. They don't understand it's revolutionary. They're calling for revolution. And they say that everything America is founded on is, is white supremacy and it is destructive 
Therefore, it needs to be destroyed. And the only way, the only way that you can have true equality in their mind, which is equality of outcome in America or elsewhere in the world, is to destroy the American constitution and to marginalize, discriminate against the people who are um, who stand against critical race theory. They really believe this. You know, uh, Ibram X. Kendi has said this, right? He's explicitly said that he wants to discriminate against um, white people. He wants to bring some some lower so they can make some come up, um, you know, higher. And by right. that, he means, of course, black people. Um, and what did so- we, uh, what did anybody expect? I mean, I, I just, I, I'm shocked if there's a single person who's like, well, wait, we, I mean, shouldn't everyone be equal? We don't want that. Well, no, they, no, everyone shouldn't be equal. We should have equity, which is different than equality. We, we want equity. And in order to achieve equity, the only way you can do that is by holding down those who are further ahead, quote unquote, in their worldview and elevating those who are further behind. Yep. What is that going to look like? Discrimination, racism, um, what economic discrimination, uh, gender discrimination, like, all the things that they're preaching are the problem with this nation is are exactly the policies that w- are required to achieve the utopia that they promise. Exactly. And, and it's socialism, but they justify it uh, with, um, cause look, they, they know Americans um, are not going to buy socialism in its frank terms right. on the, the face frank, of it. Yeah. They will not. But if you can couple it with America's history of racism yeah. and appeal to white guilt, yeah. you have it. And it's working. It's working. Both it's not and co- sinker. Yeah. It's not it's not a coincidence that as critical race theory becomes more prominent, socialism is becoming more prominent too. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're tied together. They're, they're, it's a Marxist view. Um, yeah. you know, it's a Marxist premise and it's going to and with a, sorry, it's a Marxist premise with a Marxist solution. And um you know, unfortunately, all these things are tied, right? You know, and it's a concern, you know, I've said many times before, but it's a concern that Christians are still, you have, the biggest problem is you have, you have two kinds of Christians who are, who are failing to address this in a helpful manner. You have the Christians who have completely, um, now, many of these guys are just professing Christians who are, I would say, many cases, not genuine believers, Uh, not all of them, but many of them are just not Nevertheless, these are Christians who have completely embraced this and they're pushing these ideologies against mm-hmm. biblical belief. But then you have many Christians who are just choosing to just ignore what's happening. And, um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a concern. And I'm very, I'm very concerned about where we're headed right now. I mean, we've already had, like, if okay, the last four years you had, a, you had Donald Trump with all his faults and poor character uh, in the White House. And yet, look at how much more, um, I mean, how, how do I say this? I don't, I don't want to use the word progressive, but just how um, unjust America has become ideologically, right? It's become more left, more critical race theory. That was with a Donald Trump in the, or a Republican in the, in the party, or sorry, in the White House. The next four years with Joe Biden, uh, with him in the White House, and then really with the Democrats controlling all of mm-hmm. uh, American politics right now. Uh, I'm not trying to scare Americans more, but oh, uh, we've already re- we've already thought of it. We know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's true. It's it is it is scary. Uh, and yet, like you said, uh, and like I said at the beginning, like we have also lived in a bubble. We have lived in a bubble in history, in all of 5,000 years of recorded history, we have lived in a very um, idyllic and, you know, um, utopian bubble of religious freedom and lack of persecution. And the church has languished because of it. And, and I think anyone who denies that would is, has their head in the sand because we see prosperity gospel. We see, um, you know, again, just nominal Christians, um, it's so easy to be a Christian that even Jen Hatmaker can do it, you know, and even with the poorest of theology, you can, you can stand up and say you're a Christian. And, and I, I that's what we're going to see next is all the nominal Christians like distance themselves. They already have distanced themselves from the church first to start with, well, I, you know, I'm not part of the church. The church has hurt me church hurt, you know, that movement, um, 
all of those people walking away from the church and now it's going to be walking away from Christianity. That's, and we, I mean, obviously deconstruction stories are nothing new. We see those all the time from progressives or those who leave the church um, uh, in Christianity. But I think we're going to continue to see that happen. I wouldn't even be surprised if Beth Moore did it and said, you know what, I'm not going to call myself a Christian anymore because it is oppressive. It's an oppressive religion. And, um, and it's scary. I'm not trying to pick on Beth Moore. I know there's a lot of people doing it, but she's just the easiest target because she's so, so well-known. Um, and, and I think, I think it's, it's important for us as believers right now to come to grips with the fact that they see our faith as the enemy mm. because it is the enemy to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like we need to get real for a second and be like, what did we expect? Like, again, it's been so easy to be a Christian. What did we expect? Like Jesus promised us suffering. He said that he, he came to bring the truth to divide, uh, in Luke, uh, 1253, you know, I came not to bring peace, but the sword and, and, in that it would, the, the sword would divide mother from daughter and mother-in-law from daughter-in-law and, and households in half. And that's exactly what's happening. And yet I think a lot of Christians are so fearful because they didn't think that that, that he really meant it. <laughs> like they didn't think Jesus really meant we'd have to endure suffering. It was almost like, Hey, you, you might have to suffer in the sense that, you know, like your baby doesn't nap that day, or you, you, you know, have some other, like you, you lose your job, not like for your faith. Um, and now that the suffering is getting real, I think a lot of us are, are coming to grips with the fact that like, what you are saying is true progressive. Like I do believe in absolute truth. I do believe the problem is a moral decline because we have abandoned God and, um, and I'm not going to recant, you know, like yeah. Martin Luther said, like, here I stand, I can do no other. Yeah. Um, first Peter, um, uh, says that, um, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Um, we shouldn't be surprised, you know, yeah. now granted, um, things are getting progressively worse. Um, it's not as bad as it could be, of course, just yet. It could be a lot worse. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. we are in the beginning. We're in the beginning of, we're not, we're not in a post, sorry. We are past a post culture. Sorry, oh man, I can't think right now. I'm sorry. No, you're we, we are, we are past a post Christian culture. Yeah. We're now in an anti-Christian culture. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, um, you know, that's, that's, we should be grieving that. Yeah. And yet it's also good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, shouldn't surprise us. And that we should also know that God is going to sanctify us through it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That our soul will be better off for it. Um, it's a lot harder, as you, as you've been saying, to be a nominal Christian, mm-hmm. to be, you know, it's, it's 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 a lot harder to be doing that when, or to be that when you're not, um, yeah. you know, when you're not having the comforts. You know, the prosperity gospel isn't going to flourish uh, when the government is coming out uh, to harm you. You know, I mean, even right now the coronavirus, right? It's it's been it's the worst thing that's probably ever happened to the prosperity gospel uh, over the last few decades, uh, where they've been hiding themselves all these miraculous, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, so-called prophets. Um, they've just been exposed for the frauds they are through uh, yeah. the virus so yeah. in a similar way i think um while again there are tough times ahead i think um well i know god will bless the church yeah for- i watched have you seen the documentary uh sheep among wolves no i haven't oh you you would love it it's amazing um it's all about the church in iran the underground church in iran mm. christianity is flourishing in iran like mm there is a, a burgeoning movement of Christians that are one by one, you know, uh, each one, each one is reaching one. They are discipling, they are meeting, meeting other people just in the, at the market or in whatever their daily interactions and, um, and discipling to convert instead of converting to disciple. And it is causing such a groundswell of new believers that, they, they are falling in love with Jesus. They are falling in love with the Jewish people. They are praying for the salvation of the Jews to believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah because they're being converted. And the church in Iran is, is it's, it's just insane. Like you would not believe, you know, politically we are like, oh, Iran is an enemy, but 
they're, but their mosques are empty. Like according to this documentary, nobody, nobody is functionally religious in the country. They're godless. And yet, and so Christianity is flourishing and it's just insane. And yet they have no democracy. They have no freedom of religion. They have no rights. They have no constitution. They have nothing in terms of what we would think is the blessings of God on our nation in a sense that, that that's the Christian nationalism that would be unhealthy to say, well, God has, and I've heard someone say this, God has to hear the cries of his people. He must. And so I believe he will act like there's still people, as you know, who believe that Joe Biden will not be inaugurated tomorrow. Yeah. And, and they're saying God must hear our cry. Yeah. And I just have to say that is unbiblical to attach God's blessing to the outcome that you tell him you want to have as though you're as though you're God as though you know what's best what is most loving what if suffering is most loving what if that is the way he is going to bring more of himself to us and thereby bless us beyond anything we could ever imagine I mean how can we purport to be wiser than God in saying he must bless our nation by preserving our free right, our, our freedoms of religion and our, the bill of rights and constitution like that. It's just yeah. mind blowing when you look at it that way and go, well, so I guess God really hates Iran. I guess God really hates the church in Iran yeah. or God hated Paul because he didn't remove the thorn in his side or, you know what I mean? Or the entire, um, the early church yeah, uh, where they had, you know, horrible Caesars uh, you had, uh, you know, Nero right. who oppressing them. Um, and yet God was adding to the church, um, you know, every day as the book of Acts uh, talks about. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's, there's been talks about a revival or a reformation mm-hmm. in the church for a long time. And, um, you know, we, we, we pray that through all the, the coming trials mm-hmm. that that's what God would do. Yeah. Um, I just know for myself that when times are hard, that's when I just, cause I'm, I, I'm full of pride and I sometimes, um, I don't want to just go on my knees and look up in heavens and just call out to God. But all the times when I will do that for hours, <laughs> because I'm like, Lord, I cannot do anything. You're right. I can do nothing without you. And I think, um, by the grace of God, if, and when, um, uh, things get worse, um, many many christians will do just that they'll go on our knees and they'll say lord help us you know and uh and if if it requires joe biden or persecution for that to happen praise god right yeah isn't that just the upside down kingdom it's like how can we both mourn and grieve um the loss of you know a society that could have the freedom to worship god what a blessing and yet that might have also been a curse in some ways because it did not uh, cause us to come before God in the true state of need that we really are. And it caused us to have faith and, um, and hope in our nation. And if we were hoping in our nation, we were hoping in, um, you know, in, in nothing It is empty. Can't promise deliver anything clearly as we see now. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I stand behind what this nation was founded on. I do believe they were, you were godly principles and, and I, I won't, I, I won't recant that belief in any way, but at the same time, um, my hope's not in America, you yeah. know, and, and in the preservation of the union or whatever you want to say, um, my hope is in God alone. And, and I, I agree with you. I think that revival is actually imminent, like. Um, I was listening to David Barton. Um, he has a podcast called wall builders. And, and he talked about how the, the first great awakening and the second great awakening, nobody who lived through that realized they were in the great awakening. No one who lived through a revival actually realized they were in it when it was happening. It was only later, you know, sometimes even centuries later that historians looked back and they were like, that was, that was a revival. That was the first great awakening. Um, and it's incredible just to consider like that we might be living through another great awakening. Um, and I don't mean from a truther standpoint or from a Q and on standpoint, I mean, a true great awakening and revival of, um, of true, uh, you know, salvation for, for people like that's, that's incredible to imagine. Well, as you're talking, I'm just thinking, you know, freedom of speech is great. Freedom of religion 
very good. Freedom of association, movement, all the all that, great. But if that will be taken away so that we can treasure freedom in Christ and freedom from sin um, all the more, again, praise God, you know. Um, and um, yeah, I think, you know, right now, so many Christians uh, seem to be really concerned and rightly so about what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that's good for us because we've been, we've been so comfortable. And um, I pray that in me, that it will make me more passionate for Christ, that it will lead me more to the scriptures that I read the Bible more. Um, you know, because again, we are very comfortable. Uh, um, you know, so again, we don't necessarily want, of course, we don't want things to get worse. Mm-hmm. But if things are going to get worse, then, um, you know, may God be glorified and may He um, continue to do all things and allow all things uh, for the benefit of our souls. Yeah. Amen. Uh, last, last thing I'll mention is James one, two, as you were speaking, I thought of James one, two, count it all joy when you encounter, uh, trials of various kinds. And what I like about that, that language is he says to count it all joy. He's telling you how to account for it. He knows, you know, the writer knows that what you're encountering in that suffering in that trial is truly suffering. He knows it truly is a trial. It's painful. And in all suffering is, is painful. Um, for anyone who has to endure it, but he says, he's telling us how to consider it, how to look at it. So not to pretend like it's not happening, not to deny that it's suffering, but to count it joy because you get to suffer for Christ. And um, I think that is an encouraging reminder, just as we are facing the reality of perhaps being persecuted for our faith in a way that we have not experienced in this nation before we can count it joy no matter what we have to endure because of the sake of Christ, because, um, you know, to be able to suffer for him is, is the greatest joy because he suffered for us and, you know, and he's our King. And, and this is, this is not our home. This is not, you know, your governor is not your King. Your president is not your King. Christ alone is your King. And that is where you are forced to place your hope, your rest, your security, when you feel that all else have forsaken you. And so I think that's a blessing for us to, to be able to come face to face with that reality. And, and also um, just to be, just to be brought near to God, as you said, and, and brought to our knees um, more than we might've been in another situation. So we can rejoice in that, you know? And, and I think this is a somber episode for people because a lot of people are probably coming to grips with the reality, but at the same time, there can be a deep and abiding joy at the same, uh, you know, at the same moment that you feel grief and sadness over what might have been lost, you know, I mean, we can feel both at the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. Any final words of encouragement for people as we're closing up? Hmm. I think we have a tendency of um choosing not to submit ourselves to the um, loving, caring hand of God, you know, and I think um, these, t- I know, I know tomorrow, I don't know when this will be released, but I think when it will be, when this release, um, as in this, this podcast, mm-hmm. people are going to be very disappointed and sad about Joe Biden's presidency, but um no matter what people think about how he got into office, God put him there. Mm-hmm. And it is for our good. Not that Joe Biden is going to do good to Americans or the world, but God will do good. Yes. Um, the Lord always does what is right. With persecution, discrimination, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He's always good and we can trust him. So we can, we can submit to him. We can, um, take all of our burdens uh, to him, you know, and um, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's good. And uh, he's been good for the last uh, 200 years uh, in America, the last 2,000, 6,000, 10,000 years in the world. And he'll be good for the next uh, however many years as well too yeah. before he returns. So good. Um, can we pray as we're closing? I don't always do that on podcasts, but I feel like um, that would be an awesome thing to to close out our time. 
absolutely. All right. Um, I will start and you can close. Okay. God, we just come before you um, humbled by your goodness and who you are. Um, remind us of your character. Bring to mind, bring to the front of our mind more than the suffering, more than the fear or uncertainty of what lies ahead. Bring to mind your character, who you are, who you have shown yourself to be to us, to your children, to uh, to all of those who you have saved of your will, of your desire to bring us into the family, to graft us in. This is a, not of our own doing, God. Nothing is of our own doing. And yet we're so quick to question your intent towards us or your heart towards us. And I pray that you would help us not to do that. Help us to trust in you and to believe on you for our hope and for salvation and on no other, no country, no leader, no politician. Um, May no one hold any place of uh, worship in our heart that you alone deserve to have. And I pray for strength for those Christians listening who feel fearful or uncertain of uh, how to move forward. I pray that you would give them the strength uh, of your Holy Spirit in their hearts, just undergirding them, strengthening their um, conviction and their, their faith in you, not because of what they see, but because of what they do not see for hope is, uh, and the assurance of what is unseen. And so I pray that you would, um, just build that, build hope in people's hearts, build, um, confidence in you in people's hearts today. Father, your word says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Father, as the whole world rages, as nations rage, we know that you are a king. You are a king of kings. Father, let, let us be meek in these times. Let us not believe that we need to become uh, harsh and, uh, and evil and sinful and join the world. Let us not believe that we need to take back our nations uh, with, with force. Um, you know, whether it is in our thoughts or just how we, we talk to people, let us just be meek. Let us be submissive to your will. And Father, um, let us know that even when we lose our nations, we're not losing your promise to us and that we will inherit the earth. America is, is, is nothing before you, Lord. America is not good enough. Canada is not good enough. Nothing is good enough except for you. You are our promise and that you have promised to give us yourself and that you've promised to give us the new earth and a new heaven. And that is our inheritance that we have you and we will be living in the same land with you for all of eternity. And you being a king of kings, you, you, you won't have terms of four to eight years. You, your kingdom is everlasting. So Father, let us um, treasure these things. Let us, um, let us know that Christ is precious, that he is above all, all people, and that you will continue to be good to us. So, Father, um, I just pray that uh, for many of my American friends and for people, anybody, wherever they're watching this, they, that they would not trust in man or put their faith in horses or anything, but they would put their faith only in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Samuel, so much for joining me today. Um, if people want to connect with you online, where can they do that? They can um, read me, read, read, you know, I mean, read my blog or follow my blog on slowtowrite.com. They can find me across all social media platforms, um, you know, as slow to write. Um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and then perhaps eventually, I don't know, MeWe and Gab, Gab all these new mm -hmm. uh, platforms. But uh, yeah, you can find me there. Yeah, perfect. So if if you somehow disappear from Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, we'll just go on to the alternative platforms and look for you. <laughs> Same for me, guys. Just, you know, keep an eye out. Um, well, thank you again so much. So thankful for your time. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you. You too. Guys, thanks for listening. Um, I will be back in the beginning of February, on February 2nd to be exact, with the next episode. So it'll be two weeks from today. We will have another episode. 
Um, or no, not two weeks from today, February 1st. So two weeks from yesterday. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, come find me on Instagram at HaleyWilliams.Kindled. I'm on Twitter at Haley Williams. Nope. At Kindled Podcast. Just kidding. Twitter's Kindled Podcast. And, um, I'm also now on Parlor at Haley Williams Kindled. I think Parlor's back online. Um, I'm deciding whether I'll be on any other platforms. I, I still do have a Facebook page that I just post the same stuff from Instagram to, um, it's just a lot to manage multiple platforms and I don't want to just be everywhere, but not actually be there. So, you know, I, I'm one of those, my perspective on this social media censorship and stuff is that I'm going to stay there as long as I can. I'm going to keep preaching the truth and hoping to bring people over, um, to where they can discover my podcast and discover like-minded believers who are standing firm in the midst of this crazy cultural moment that we're living in. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until they kick me off. And so that's my perspective and my approach. So I will be there until the bitter end, until the bitter end. But in the meantime, if you want to make sure that you are getting access to my stuff, you can sign up on my website for my email list, kindledpodcast.com. Right on the homepage, scroll down beneath the header, you will see a uh, sign up box, the little contact form where you can submit your name and email, and you will be on the list so that when I email people, if for some reason I am cut off from Instagram and, and all other means of communicating with you, I can still email you and we'll be connected in that way. So, all right, guys, have an awesome rest of your week. Praying for you and your heart. But you're doing this for God. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week.